This is the podcast of North Church of God in St. Joseph, Missouri. Let's join Pastor David as he shares biblical truths and insights that will enhance your weekly Bible study. Before we um, unpack our passage in Philippians chapter 4, let me just reorient us to where we are at this stage in the life of the church. Every year we select a theme. We pray and ask the Lord, how should we focus our study and our energies this year? And so this year the Lord impressed upon us the need to go the distance. Would you say go the distance? Absolutely. This is born out of Hebrews chapter 12, where we are told to run with perseverance the race that has been set out for us. That we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Life is a journey. You have been given life as a gift from your Creator. And too many times in life, we start things we never finish. We start things we never finish. But the reality is all of us will finish life one day. All of us will die. This life will end. And we will stand before God in heaven. We will give an account for our lives. And the most significant question we must answer is, when you ran the race of life, was Jesus the author and the finisher of your faith? It's one thing to start the Christian journey. But will you go the distance? Will you ride the highs and the lows? Will you fix your eyes on Jesus and come hell or high water, keep on fixing your eyes until your journey is done? Well, it's certainly my prayer that you will go the distance. And so this year as your pastor and together as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are encouraging one another. We are edifying we are one another. And we are teaching one another what must be done to ensure we go the distance. And so this first half of the year, we have said, if we're going to go the distance, we need to learn to put our faith in action. Faith that sits on a shelf is not faith at all. That's what James says. Faith without works is dead, be it alone. Faith that is only lip service is not faith, but faith must be lived. Faith must be put into action. And so we began a study of the book of James, which we will be continuing in about three weeks, picking back up with James, the second chapter. But as we have been exploring what it looks like to put our faith in action, we have come to settle upon one of the very important aspects of living where we must express our faith, and that is through our words. James, the first chapter, tells us, if anyone considers himself religious yet does not bridle his tongue, He deceives his heart and his religion is worthless. We recognize from this strong, instructive word that our words matter. And as Christians, we ought to pay careful attention to our words. Now, I have been careful in the past to remind you that it's not about saying good words or avoiding bad words. It's not as though there's a a list of words that you should say these words, and here's a list of words you shouldn't say those words. No, words are simply symptoms of a greater reality. Or I've put it this way before, your words are indicators of your spiritual health. 
Your words are an indicator of your spiritual health. When you go to the doctor and you say, well, I'm not feeling great, and the doctor begins to explore your symptoms. Well, I've got a headache. I've got double vision. Uh, when I start trying to climb the stairs, I get really winded. Okay. The doctor takes those symptoms and begins to sift through a long list of conditions until he says, you know what, it looks like you probably have XYZ. And then what does the doctor do? The doctor does some tests. Let's do some tests. Let's run a scan. Let's draw some blood work. Let's examine you a little more closely and see if we can really nail down and focus what exactly the source of your trouble is. Well, folks, in the same way, we can examine our words. If we will pause and think about what is coming out of our mouths, those words can help us reflect upon what is the condition. In fact, that's the first thing. Words can reveal the condition of your heart. If your heart is broken, it will come out in your words. If your heart is filled with joy, it will come out in your words. You can't help it. Jesus says in Matthew 12 that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so when you examine your words, it can show you what is the condition of your heart. Secondly, I have said in the past that your words reveal the cleanliness of your mind. If we are consuming things that are corrupting our minds or twisting our minds or warping our minds, it will inevitably demonstrate itself through our words. By the same token, if we are meditating upon God's Word day and night, and if we are remaining prayerful, if we are edifying one another and being obedient to the Scriptures, we will find that our words represent what Romans says, the renewing of our minds, the transforming of our lives, a refusal to conform to the image of this world. So I encourage you, if you have not heard these messages in the past, you can go on our Facebook page and watch the past uh, sermon videos before Easter, or we do have a podcast now that Carrie has set up. And you can listen to the audio of those sermons as well as some debrief conversations that she and I have unscripted, unfiltered on Sunday nights talking about each of the sermons. But here's where I want us to land today and why in just a moment we're going to read Psalm, or Philippians chapter 4. I want you to understand today that words can reveal the certainty of your faith. Words will reveal something about the status of your faith. If you are in a season of your life where your faith is strong and your faith is full and faith is guiding you along your journey, your words will inevitably reveal that. But if you find yourself in a season where your faith is suffering and your faith is weak, when your foundation seems to be shifting, when doubts are developing or growing or becoming overwhelming, when worries and cares and anxieties and fears are now driving you, that too will inevitably evidence itself in your words, in your conversation, in what you say to others, in what you say to yourself in the quiet space of the night. 
I took much time last Sunday, and again, if you weren't able to hear that sermon, I invite you to go back and do so. I took much time last Sunday to encourage you to recognize that doubts do not make you a bad Christian. In fact, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. Doubt, rather, can be the servant of faith because it can invite you to ask questions that others are not asking. It can invite you to go deeper when you would rather stay on the shore. Doubts are an opportunity for God to reveal Himself to you in greater measure if you will allow Him to work through your doubts. So doubts do not make you a bad Christian. But today I want to give you the other side of that coin, which is that doubts should not define you. If you are a Christian believer, you are not defined by your doubts. You are defined by your faith. And while God will not hold your doubts against you, He has a greater experience of life for you. He wants to move you through your doubts and beyond your doubts. He wants to move you through your anxiety and beyond your anxiety. He wants to move you through your fear and beyond your fear. God wants to give you faith. And this is why the Scriptures say, the righteous shall live by faith. The just shall walk by faith. So let's see if we can dig a little deeper into our understanding of what is faith. How do we deal with anxiety? In what way does God work in our lives to overcome worry and fear? Let me invite you now to stand, please, as we read from Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to begin at verse 4. I'm going to read through verse 9. We'll be focusing on verses 6 and 7. But hear now the word of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Thank the Lord for His Word. You may be seated in His presence. I am told that some time ago, researchers conducted some large study of the population, interviewing and investigating something that we all seem to experience on some level or another, and that is anxiety, worry, fear, doubt. And as they interviewed and investigated and talked with 
these individuals, they began to try and categorize the things that people were anxious about, the things that worried people, the things that people were afraid of. As they began to categorize the things that appeared to be the cause of great concern, they came up with these results. It appeared within their study that 40% of the things people were anxious about were things that will never happen. 30% of what people were anxious about were things in the past that cannot be changed. 12% of the concerns they documented had to deal with criticism from others, most of which was untrue. 10% of the concerns fell under the category of health. And the researchers noted how interesting it is that we should stress about our health, and yet stress is the very thing that makes health worse. But it's also interesting to note that at least 8% of the concerns that were shared were real problems, real dangers, real issues. I think there's at least two things that we can take away from that study. Number one, the large majority of the things that cause us anxiety are either things that will never happen or things we cannot control or things that simply anxiety makes worse. But we can also take from that study that there are real issues. There is real danger. There are real reasons at times that by any other standard we ought to be afraid and worried and concerned. We have simply to look at the human body and recognize that God created those functions. He integrated within us a fight-or-flight response That when there is real danger, there are hormones that kick in. There are brain functions and nerve functions that kick in to make your heart pound faster, to increase your blood pressure, to make your breathing move faster so that you are prepared either to fight or either to run. And God built that into your body because there are real dangers. There are real dangers causes for concern in the world. And so God gave you a mechanism whereby you can recognize those dangers and protect yourself. But what happens when your body and your mind become your worst enemy? And now, instead of kicking on only in times of real danger, now it kicks in every time. You think there's danger. Every time you think there's something to be afraid of. Every time you think someone is attacking you. Every time you think there's darkness on the horizon. And now now it seems like your own mind and your own body are out of your own control. What a very real and sometimes persistent experience for many of us. I'm told that If you were to go out tomorrow morning and see fog filling the air, what a a challenging weather condition that can be sometimes. If you've ever tried to drive through thick fog 
not able to see two feet in front of you, if you're driving a car and someone almost clips you because they didn't see you either. I'm told that within a, an area of seven city blocks, the amount of fog that will stop traffic could fit in one glass of water. Oftentimes, that's what Satan tries to do in your life, to take something small and yet spread it out so that it seems so big that you just stop in your tracks, unable to move forward. God wants to help reverse that paradigm for you. He wants to give you wisdom and discernment to know real danger from false danger. He wants to help you be able to take the big thing and put it in perspective and see that from His eyes, oh, how small it really is. I, I saw a, a meme on uh, Facebook or a little short video clip, and it's these guys riding down the road, and the guy in the passenger seat, he's just he's just going to town to the radio. I mean, he's just feeling the beat, and he's grooving and moving, his head is shaking, he's got a big old smile on his face. And the other guy's sitting there behind the wheel, and he's just gripping the wheel, going like, what, what, is, what, 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 what? My favorite part of this image, though, is that over the guy who's just going like this, it says God. And over here, gripping the wheel, it says me. Now perhaps you might take from that image that God is uncaring, that He is ignorant of my concerns, that He is off in His own little world, not paying attention to me and my issues. But what it communicates to me is that while I'm here trying to control things and am stressed and anxious and worried and worn out, God is not bothered one bit by the things that are bothering me. Why? Because Scripture says God is in control. Scripture says God has all power. Scripture says God is not caught off guard. He has all knowledge. Scripture says God knows the end from the beginning. What would it look like if you and I traded places with God? What if we let Him drive and we could sit and enjoy the sweet music, the joyful music, the resounding music, of His grace and His power at work in our lives. When we look at our passage in Philippians, we are told, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Now in the Greek, the word nothing means nothing. Seems like a tall order, doesn't it? There are some things in my life it's easy for me not to worry about. There are some things in my life I know Carrie's got it covered. Not a problem. I, I don't have to give that a second thought. There are some things in my life, if I came to some of you and I said, hey, would you take care of this? Would you take care of that? I don't have to call you 10 times. I don't have to send you 20 text messages. I know you got it. And I have entrusted that to you, and off you go. 
And there are things in your life that you entrust to God, things you need not be anxious about. You've got that on lock. I'm giving that to God and praise God. Hallelujah. But are you anxious for nothing? If we put the period right there, and that was the end of the sentence, oh, how we would struggle and strain to be anxious for nothing. It's a tall order. The word there for anxiety is the image of being pulled apart in opposite directions. Have you ever felt that way? Most often what that looks like, especially from a biblical perspective, is on the one hand, you have the natural fears and the worries and the cares. You have the lies of Satan. You have the the sin. You have all of these things that are pulling you in one direction to doubt God, to disbelieve God, to ignore God, resist God, to try and control things on your own, to do it your own way, to figure out your own strategy. And then on the other side, You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got the testimony of God's Word. You've got the voice of your Savior saying, Trust me. Trust me. Put it into my hands. Believe and have faith. Do not fear. Do not fear. Perhaps you have heard it said at least 365 times in Scripture we see the words, Be not afraid. Well, there you go. You got one verse for every day of our calendar year. Add to that the verses that say, Be anxious for nothing. Worry not. Do not doubt, but have faith in God. But that anxiety, that anxiety, that pulling apart is the struggle that you and I feel between trusting God, but at the same time feeling like we've got to solve everything. The only way that tug of war gets decided is you have to let go of one of the ropes. So which rope are you going to let go of? Are you going to let go of the voice of God and the testimony of Scripture and throw yourself into solving life on your own? Or will you do what the apostle encourages you to do? Let go of anything other than the voice of God and instead cling for dear life to his lifeline. We're told to be anxious for nothing, but we don't have to deal with our anxieties on our own. It's not about willpower or self-confidence. It's about God-confidence and His power. That's why He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything present your requests to God. In everything. Would you say everything? Anxious for nothing, but in everything present your requests to God. Too often, you and I present our requests to everyone but God. Now, I'm not telling you you should keep your troubles to yourself. You absolutely should 
vent and share and look for encouragement and advice and support from one another. I'm not saying don't tell anybody else. But if all you're doing with your anxieties and your worries is posting them online, if all you're doing is calling up your friends and going over the same problems over and over and over again, if all you're doing is letting them run through your mind at night, wearing out the track of your mind, if that's all you're doing, pay attention. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, everything. In the Greek, everything means everything. Sometimes we don't take our cares to God because we think they're too big for Him to handle. Sometimes we don't take our cares to God because we think they're too small to matter to Him. But if God is God and God is your God, it is His Holy Spirit which inspired these words. It is His invitation to you to bring everything to Him. What? By prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. Prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. Prayer there is the image of an exchange. One way to think about prayer is that it is an exchange. God, I am coming to you to lay at your feet, to put into your hands, to transfer to your care the needs, the anxieties, the worries, the fears, and the doubts that I am carrying. But if this is an exchange, it is not simply about giving those things to God. What is God giving to you? The next verse tells us that if we will be obedient to be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, if we will present our requests to God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So get the picture. Prayer is an exchange Prayer is me offering to God those things which rightfully belong to Him. If I'm a Christian believer, my life belongs to God. I am not my own. I have been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. And so if I am not my own, my problems are not my own either. My future is not my own. My present is not my own. Even my past doesn't belong to me but it's been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. No, prayer is an exchange. It is my opportunity to place in God's hand and in His care, my cares. Cast your cares on Christ, for He cares for you. And in exchange, God offers you His peace. One of the things I love to do when I feel anxious or worried or frightened or I begin to doubt, I go back to the Gospel of John. I read chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. These are Jesus' final words to His disciples before His crucifixion. I tell you all the time, last words mean much. And Jesus speaks to His disciples, but He also says this is to those who are still afar off, to those who will believe in My name. So He's speaking to you too. 
And when you go back and you read John 14 and 15 and 16 and 17, you're going to see him talk about things like the love that exists between me and the Father I pour out in your hearts. He says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither be afraid. How how does the world offer you peace? And listen, the world does want to offer you peace of mind. Just sit down and watch commercials on TV for an hour. Oh, the world promises you all kinds of ways and strategies. Well, if you'll, if you'll open up a retirement account with us, we'll make sure that you can have peace about your future. If you'll take these medicines and these new prescriptions, we'll give you peace about your health. Not a problem. You know, if you'll buy these clothes, if you'll pursue this career, if you'll, if you'll sign up for this service, you can have peace about how you look and whether people will like you and all of these other things, but we could easily say that the way the world offers peace is by trying to change your circumstances. Sometimes by trying to change you. Jesus says, my peace is not like the peace the world gives. My peace is not based on your circumstances. In fact, all throughout Scripture we see situations where people's circumstances didn't change. In fact, many times their circumstances got worse. And yet they walk in peace. The image of anxiety is the image of one being torn apart by competing thoughts and competing values. But in Scripture, the peace of God means to be whole. Means to be integrated. Means to be One means to be united. To no longer be divided, to no longer be torn, but to be united with Christ in faith. He says, my love I will give you. He says, my peace I will give you. In John 14 through 17, he says, my joy. I pray that your joy would be made complete. And then, of course, he promises wisdom and power through the Holy Spirit. He says, I will send a comforter, and He will lead you in all truth, and He will remind you of the things that I have taught you. And He bids them wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit that they might have power after you receive the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses in all of the world, not only to be a consumer of God's peace, but to be a sharer, a proclaimer of his peace. It says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. In the Greek, all means all understanding. Now, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about this? The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Now, first of all, that means it's a peace that cannot be understood. It cannot be logically understood. So so you can be in a situation, the circumstances have not changed. Yesterday when you woke up, your heart was filled with anxiety and fear and doubt and worry. And yet today, nothing else is different except something inside of you has shifted because you prayed. And you entrusted yourself to God. 
and you go, and, and your friends see it, and they go, well, what happened? And you go, I don't know. I can't explain it. All I know is, God said, in everything, present your request to Him. And when I did that, something changed. Of course, perhaps you've had the experience where you've done that and nothing seemed to change outside or inside. I would just encourage you, place your faith in the Word. Keep praying. Keep surrendering. Keep offering God your circumstances, your fears, your worries. Keep opening your arms to receive from Him. When it says a peace that passes all understanding, it means even you won't be able to understand. Even as a believer, there are still going to be things you cannot explain. Still things you cannot control. Still things you cannot change. And yet, God offers you His peace. And finally, he says that that peace is what will guard your heart and your mind. It will guard your heart and your mind. Will Satan settle for destroying your body? Absolutely, if he can. The thief cometh to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But when he came to Job, God said, do your worst, but you can't kill him. And so if he can't kill you in the body, he will be more than happy to settle for corrupting your heart, poisoning your mind, holding you captive, oppressing you day and night with anxiety, worry, fear, and doubt. But the final promise of this passage is that as you present everything to God in prayer. His peace can stand guard like a centurion, like the military police, like law enforcement, like a bodyguard. Night and day, keeping watch over your mind, keeping watch over your heart. Reminding you of God's promises. Reminding you of His character. Reminding you that I am the Lord. I change not. I am the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I am the God who promised Abraham a child at a hundred years old and made it happen. I am the God that freed Israel from slavery in Egypt and brought them into a promised land. I am the God that found David in the pasture and promised him a kingdom and gave it to him. I am the God who predicted Christ would come thousands, hundreds of years before he did and made good on my promise. I am the God that was with Paul and Silas in the prison as they were praising me and threw open the prison doors so that they could escape. I am the God that was with Peter as he suffered and was martyred for his faith. I'm the God who was with James, who was crucified because he followed me. I am the God that was with John on the Isle of Patmos. All you have to do is read your Bible. 
page upon page. Yes, you see men and women who doubted, but you see a God who always came through. And today his promise is to give you peace. And you can trust it's a promise on which he will come through. We're going to have one final time of prayer. In this time of prayer, without any music or anything else going on, it's an opportunity for you to make good on this word. It's an opportunity for you to take whatever measure of faith you have, however small or great it may be in this moment. But if there is something, if there is an area of your life, if there is something that you want to surrender and exchange with God today, on the basis of this word, I invite you to do so right at your seat. You can give to Him your need and request of Him His peace. And let us see if God will do something great in your life in these next few moments. Take this time for prayer. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I said Savior, I surrender all. It is to you, Lord, that we surrender. We surrender our lives. We surrender our hearts and our minds. We surrender our schedules. 
We surrender our past, our present, and our future. Lord, as Your Word says, we surrender all to You. Help us to walk in this Word, to be anxious for nothing but in everything. Make our requests known to You. Lord, we are grateful for the things that we have placed in Your hands today. We are grateful that Your hands have been extended to receive those things. And we thank You, Lord, in advance for the peace that You offer us in exchange. Lord, perhaps as we leave this place, our hearts will be lifted. We will feel differently. There will be a clear transformation within us. We rejoice and thank You for that. Perhaps, Lord, we will still leave heavy and burdened, and perhaps it feels as if nothing has changed. But, Lord, I pray we would walk in the faith of Your promise. I pray that we would walk with thanksgiving in advance of its fulfillment. I pray that we would recognize You are good to Your Word. May Your peace guard the hearts and minds of Your sons and daughters this day, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. North Church of God is located in St. Joseph, Missouri. For more information, go to northcog.com. That's N-O-R-T-H-C-O-G dot com. <laughs>